Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. We're happy to have you with us for another episode. Yes. Thanks for your faithful listenership. <laughs> if we were word. just talking to no one, we wouldn't be doing this. That's so true. And we're always happy when we meet people who let us know that there are listeners, because then we just feel that connection with you ever so much more. And speaking of connection, we have some real human connection coming up yeah. in our lives, which is the in-person Theology of the Body Level 1 course starting. And the restrictions have been dropped in the state of Pennsylvania here, which means we have a full house for the first time in over a year and a half, which is really exciting. We have a hundred, over a hundred students coming from all over the United States, and I haven't checked internationally. I don't even know what's going on internationally. Yeah, good question. I don't. Need, we usually have people from around the world, but that may not be the that case. That may not be the case because of COVID. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to be in front of students again, a full house. Uh, there's always a certain process I go through, as you know, Wendy, mm -hmm. gearing up for these courses. It's um, it's quite uh, quite an experience. And I, I today after mass, I was just thinking, what the heck am I doing? Like, what what what? Who am I? Who am I to to get up in front of these people for five and a half days and and teach? I mean, I I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but I, I I guess I was feeling the there's a there's a certain it's humbling. It is yes, that's what's that's what it's it is humbling. Mm -hmm. Like I I I know that if I were to rely on my this is what came out in my journaling this morning if I rely on my own abilities and strengths to do this, then it's, it's, it'll be awful. Mm -hmm. But if I trust that the Lord's ability working through my inability, the Lord's strength working through my weakness is, is at work, then I've seen this again and again and again, miracles happen. They really happen. Uh, opening up our weakness, our brokenness, is is the channel by which God's graces work, and this the stupidity of thinking uh, that there's somehow I have something to offer of of my own. You know, what do you have that you have not received? As Saint Paul says, mm -hmm. it all comes from the Lord, and I am I am delighted to to be able to pass on what the Lord has given to me to these students. Yeah, and I just, through the years of seeing you do this work, I know that the students themselves are so important to your experiencing like the Holy Spirit moving through your gifts. It's not that you can sort of just speak to no one and have everything flow. The, the receiving and the interacting that comes from being in the presence of the students is also a grace for you as absolutely in your ministry and so i can a... speak right into the difference between that and filming youtube videos where <laughs> i'm just talking to a camera yeah. where i i mean i know people are going to watch these videos but having the people right there and that give and take and giving and receiving is a it's living out the theology of the body mm -hmm. you know the whole idea of being a gift of self and having that gift received and having it returned 
there becomes this beautiful fecundity to use that word so many people in the world have experienced that contrast over the past pandemic time you know where you're trying to do what you do but without being with the people you normally are with and it's certainly so challenging so I, i hope many other people are experiencing the joy of reconnecting right now and here's the segue into our little sponsorship <laughs> rose sweet who is a sponsor of this podcast yeah. she was on the very first tob1 class in 2004. that's right the tob institute was founded in the summer of 2004 mm-hmm. and rose sweet was on the first class and it was when i f- really got to know her i thought at a new level she and i had known each other as catholic speakers out there but she came to this course and i asked her to stand up and do some sharing at that course and it really really blessed the students and it really blessed me too and we are really happy not just because she's our sponsor but because we know rose personally and we love rose personally we are really happy to encourage our listeners in this podcast to take advantage of the good work that rose sweet does she is a personal coach she can help you apply theology of the body in your own life in your relationships she's done a lot of work in divorce ministry as well and and in the catholic world that um has been sort of lacking and we're so grateful to her um just going into that place of great need with her personal experience and her deep faith and knowledge of church teaching and how it really applies to the lives of people who've been wounded by um, divorce. So I think she's been such a gift to the Catholic Church in that way. Yes, check out her website, rosesweet.com. Her name is so appropriate. She is a sweet rose, uh, (laughs) and that's her real name. It's not some stage name or something. Rose Sweet, check out the link in the show notes. Uh, Look at her resources. Bring her into an event. Contact her for coaching. Uh, Look at her books. Uh, She's got all kinds of free downloads and helpful resources on her blog. You can sign up for her newsletter. So uh, yeah, I can't recommend Rose enough. She's she's just great. Yeah. I'd like to go on with what should be a patron question. It's actually kind of a patron comment, but I think you might want to respond to it. Okay, so well, let's do you. it. This is from a patron named Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Thank you so much for your patronage of the mm-hmm. TOB Institute. We can't do it without our patrons. So grateful to you. Christopher and Wendy, I submitted a question to you a few weeks ago. I had to thank you for recommending John Paul II's Jeweler's Shop. Oh, oh, wow, great. Listen to what she says. It has changed me maybe forever. Wow, that's awesome. Utterly, she says. Also, your beautiful words regarding Elizabeth Lesseur. I was aware of her, but it was wonderful to hear. She is one of my special saints. Finally, I'm doing a doctorate on spirituality, embodiment, and dementia. Ooh, fascinating. I I see so much in Theology of the Body that relates to this topic. Maybe I can someday work with you on on issues relating to aging. It's a challenging field, dementia and Theology of the Body. God bless you. I adore you both. Kathy, that is awesome. I am so encouraged. I remember when we recorded that episode. Yeah. I remember the moment the jeweler shop came to mind as something I should recommend. And I I felt, ooh, I think that's the Holy Spirit. Wow. 
And to hear you, Kathy, say how much it blessed you, I was like, yeah, it oh, was the Holy Spirit. He really you. does give us those inspirations. That's awesome. And I do want to comment, you're right, Wendy, on uh, theology of the body in the sense of the aging body. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in my 50s now, and I'm feeling my, I know somebody in his 80s would say, you're just a young whippersnapper one young whippersnapper but i'm not 30 anymore i'm not 20 anymore and i'm feel my just this morning i took my back out moving a mattress and i just i just feel old i'm just gonna say it i feel old um and there is there is a, a, a great deal of work that needs to happen when it comes to theology of the aging body uh, john paul ii at the end of the catechesis it's the very final address which was delivered in November of 1984, he says, what I have reflected on in what we've called theology of the body is just one aspect, very important. Indeed, he calls it the fundamental aspect of human life in the world, our creation as male and female. That's the fundamental reality of, of bodiliness. We are male and female. That's what he spent his time reflecting on. But he said, there are many other issues that have to do with theology of the body that I have not reflected on. Mm. And he talked about suffering. Um, we can include in that aging. And he encouraged others to take it up and mm -hmm. go in those directions, yeah. to take the foundation he laid and then move in these directions. So Kathy, I can't encourage you enough. Please keep going there. Uh, it's very, very important what you are doing. I'm so glad you're devoting your dissertation to this topic. And please do be in touch. Uh, I would be more than happy to learn more about what you're doing and how you're doing it, and what your hopes are for your future. And if the Lord has in store some collaboration, I'm, I'm in certain, I am certainly open to that. And I just want to say again, Kathy, thank you for being a patron. I hope you're taking advantage of the exclusive formation that we offer to our patrons and if anybody out there is interested in that, you can check more out at the link uh, in the show notes about what it means to be a patron of the TOB Institute. Our second question is from an anonymous listener. Christopher, how would you approach the topic of wet dreams? To me, they seem involuntary or uncontrolled, and the sometimes very lustful content of them shocks me since I don't masturbate or watch porn anymore, and I desire to live chastely, I have them about once a week. And when I wake up, I'm usually a bit confused about my body and my mind. Bless this dear man. Bless this dear man. He may be a young man, he may be an older man, may be a teenager. Uh, I just want to affirm that you are, you are correct. They are not voluntary. Um, we should not associate this with sin even a little bit, um, because sin has only to do with something that is voluntary. So something that is happening in your sleep is involuntary. And as he said, he's not masturbating, he's not looking at porn. There is, a, in a man's body, a natural need to release the buildup of semen. And that's what's happening in his body. Uh, so there's there's no sin involved whatsoever. You know, the idea that that sometimes you'll hear, 
oftentimes in our culture that men need to masturbate to release that buildup of semen. No, they don't. Their bodies will take care of it mm. uh, naturally in their sleep. Um, but I can also relate to this disconcerting feeling of sometimes the, the very lustful dreams or, or very confusing dreams that can accompany uh, that experience. And I want to speak into that a little bit. I've learned this over the years in spiritual direction, and it's been really, really helpful to take your dreams to prayer. That the dreams you have are a window into certain movements of your soul. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Wendy, that I have a very vivid dream life. Mm-hmm. And really, really, really strange dreams. And I can't say I'm, I'm, you know, an expert at interpreting dreams. I am not. But I've, I've learned over the years, again, with the help of, of good spiritual direction, to, to look out for the symbols, mm -hmm. especially in a sexually vivid dream. Uh, we shouldn't beat ourselves up as if this is some indication of deep lusts in my own heart. It could be, it may be, um, certainly if you were exposing yourself to porn and you had that bent, there would be more of a, a foundation for saying, yeah, well, this is carrying over into your dreams. But this guy is saying he doesn't masturbate, he's not looking at porn, where are these images coming from? Sexual dreams, the sexual imagery of dreams, are windows into yearnings and desires of our hearts. And I've certainly had the experience of taking something, a sexually vivid dream to prayer, where I've come to realize oftentimes different parts of my own person are seeking reconciliation. Um, like the, 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 the feminine presence in the dream might be my own heart, because my heart is feminine before the Lord. My heart is, and by that we mean as a creature, we're all receptive, right? Why, why is the church always the bride? God is always the bridegroom. Because the creature is receptive before its maker. And the feminine is a symbol of that. And oftentimes, a sexual dream are parts of yourself seeking integration, uh, I, I know I have been very hard on my heart in my life. I've, I've thought my heart is something that I should crush or dominate or control because it just gets me in trouble. Well, I remember having a dream, this was years ago, and <laughs> I won't, won't get into all the details, but in the dream, I'll only share the details necessary to make my point. In the dream, I was having a sexual experience with a woman who I thought was really uh, unattractive, um, nerdy, dorky would be the word I would use. And I use that word because that's, those were insults that were heaped on me in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I came to conceive of my own heart as nerdy or dorky or ugly or to be rejected, unattractive. And in this dream, this very, quote, dorky person was yearning to have intercourse with me. And I took it to prayer. I took it to spiritual direction. And I came to realize, oh, my gosh, 
this is my own heart saying, love me, please love me. Mm. I want to be loved by you. You've rejected me. I want you to know me. I want you to, to see me. I want you to rejoice in me. And I'm longing to be united. I'm longing for this interior integration. So I share that one experience of a dream in my life, a sexual dream, which was very troubling. Uh, I, you know, I, I, for years I would think in these dreams I was being unfaithful to you, Wendy, and um, I've had to work through that uh, with my spiritual director. And maybe sometimes there's lust get, that's getting worked out in my heart. That's possible, but it's not the typical thing. Typically what's going on in these sexually, sexually explicit dreams, especially for somebody like this questioner or somebody like like me who I, I'm I don't look at porn I, I don't masturbate it's not uh, something I, I'm drawn to by God's grace I've been liberated from those things uh, th those dreams can be windows into deep spiritual movements of your soul so I just want to hold that out to the listener to the listeners and to the questioner uh, maybe something deeper is going on. Take that to prayer. If you have a good spiritual director, take it to your spiritual director. I, I hope you find those reflections helpful. You want to say anything there, Wendy? Just want to encourage all our listeners to be aware that um, the evil one would want us to reject our bodies. And yeah. especially when you're growing in holiness, you know, there's that temptation there to say, you know, something about the way I'm made is sort of, I don't know, like it's all occasion of sin or something. So I, I just would say in a very simple way in that place of kind of waking up and, you know, it's not a happy thing to wake up and discover that um, you've had a, a wet dream. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm obviously speaking, knowing your experience, right. um, but that if we can, just have a reaction to to thank the Lord that he has a good plan for my life. Like that's just such a simple prayer. You know, Lord, thank you. You have a good plan for my life. And however that, you know, you might want to add to that be based on where you are in your life and what you know of your own longings, but just to give thanks to him, even in the midst of confusion can be a source of grace and, and redirecting yourself into his heart. Yes, and of saying, thank you, Lord, that this is the way you made my body. Mm -hmm. I am designed by you to give life. You have designed me to be a gift. Uh, that even, even a wet dream can be a reminder of the way God has made you to give the seed that mm -hmm. leads yeah. to new life. And even if some of the sexual images in the dream are objectively perverse or disordered. Nonetheless, whatever our attraction to those images or experiences might be, that's a window into something that the Lord might want us to look at in our hearts. Why am I attracted to this? There's something good in my heart that has become uh, twisted up, perhaps, but nonetheless is seeking fulfillment. And maybe the Lord's bringing that to your attention in your dream to show you what it is behind that symbol that you're really desiring. Sexual attractions are symbolic of our, of our deep longings and desires. And when we get to the root of those desires, we find something good 
We are looking for something good. Fundamentally, we yearn for union with the Lord. Every sexual perversion, untwisted, will lead you straight to the Eucharist. Now, the key word in that is untwisted, right? Every sexual perversion, when it is untwisted, or to the degree it is untwisted, becomes a straight line to the great mystery that is Christ's love for the church consummated in the Eucharist. That is the fundamental truth. We can stand on it. Our next question, this is a little bit of a longer question Okay. Uh, from a listener named Nolan. Hello, Nolan. Nolan says, I just listened to Matt Frad's interview with you and found it beautiful. I'm a father of four who's just coming up on 40 this year and was really struck by your reflections on parenting, growing older, and God's grace throughout it all. My wife and I both really enjoyed it. I'm so glad. That's really encouraging to hear. Speaking of my wife, we've been married for almost 12 years and have four beautiful children. We met in church and were right out of the gate practitioners of and advocates of theology of the body and natural family planning. Yet now I find myself waiting for a urologist consult to get a vasectomy. Hmm. I'm in a position where it's unsafe for my wife to become pregnant. In fact, my doctor said he normally dissuades young men from getting them, but is making an exception because of my wife's situation. Being married for over a decade and being around other long-lasting marriages has revealed a lot of otherwise conservative Catholic couples with lots of kids who use contraception. I cannot see any demonstrable reason why it's bad in an otherwise healthy marriage, unlike abuses like porn or alcohol addiction. So, between our medical situation and my lived experience, I'm struggling. I understand there's natural family planning, but we've experienced two surprise pregnancies, so we honestly view it now with suspicion. That's where I'm at. I've talked to priests about this and other strong Catholics. Their advice always is, the church's teaching is clear, but you are right to protect your wife. Again, it was a wonderful talk with Matt Frad. I'm sure God led us to it for multiple reasons. I hope you can give me some clarity to square my conscience with church teaching. Bless you, Nolan. I am so glad that you are reaching out. I feel so honored, Nolan, that you're reaching out, that you're entrusting to us this, this burden on your heart. I can feel the weight of it. I can feel the struggle of it. I can feel the, the burden of it. And I'm going to speak, I hope, Nolan, right to your heart. I, I hope I can speak right to your heart and, and call you forward, brother. I have to say it. I'm going to say it plainly. Don't do it, brother. Don't do it. Don't render yourself sterile. Do not. Do not. I beg of you. I beg you, please. On my knees, I beg you, brother. It's a deception. Don't go down that path. It is entirely understandable that this is a temptation. Uh, given your circumstances, you need to protect your wife, but it is not the only way to protect your wife. In fact, it's also not true that getting a vasectomy will necessarily protect your wife. The only 100% all the time, always effective means of avoiding a pregnancy is 100% abstinence or the, the removal of your testicles altogether, 
or the removal of her womb altogether. Those are the only foolproof uh, ways of avoiding a child. Um, that said, we are we are we are never free. We are never free to render the sexual act sterile ourselves. That is taking the powers of life into our own hands. To and there's and with the vasectomy, there's also a, a deeper level of disorder going on here. It's also a bodily mutilation. The purpose of medicine, the purpose of surgery, is to help the body function properly when it is not functioning properly. If medicine or surgery can give sight to someone who is blind, that is good because we're working with God's intention. We know God's intention is that eyes would see, mm. right? When eyes don't see, something has gone wrong. Uh, we live in a fallen world. All kinds of things go wrong. But if we were to use medicine or surgery to blind someone, to render perfectly functioning eyes unable to function, now we are mutilating the body. Now we are working in the exact opposite direction of God's plan. It is a beautiful, glorious, wonderful thing that your testicles produce sperm that lead to new life. To render yourself sterile, to get a surgery that renders your body unable to father, is just as disordered as blinding someone who can see. It's a bodily mutilation, but also it renders the sacramental mystery of your union, it renders it anti-sacramental. What do I mean by that? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. St. Paul then says, and I like the ring of the Greek, uh, we usually translate it great mystery, but I, the Greek says, uh, this is a mega mystery. Mm. This is a mega, what is a mega mystery? The two becoming one flesh. This is a mega mystery. And it refers to, it reveals, it proclaims, it even more so, efficaciously communicates the mystery of Christ and the church. The holy communion of man and woman efficaciously, that means really and truly communicates the mystery of how God loves us. How does God love us? This is my body given up for you. But here's the thing about sacraments. They only communicate this divine mystery, in as much as they properly symbolize it. What do we mean by that? Uh, let's go to another sacrament as an example. Baptism, the physical reality of bathing someone with water, is a symbol of new birth, and it's a symbol of cleansing. Well, if you were to change the symbol, and let's say you baptize someone with tar, mm. or motor oil, right. or mud, now the symbol is no longer one of cleansing, it's one of making dirty. Mm. This becomes an anti-sacrament, a symbol that is exactly contrary to the sacramental symbol of baptism. 
when we render the sexual act sterile, we are no longer loving as God loves. That act is no longer an act of love. And, and Nolan made the point, you know, in otherwise loving marriages, what's, what's wrong with contraception? Well, the word otherwise is important here. I'm not saying that those who contracept or those who have had a vasectomy don't love one another. They may love one another in all kinds of beautiful ways, but we can say with certainty this, that their acts of intercourse no longer participate in the love of God because they, they don't properly symbolize the love of God. The love of God is life-giving. God's love is generous. God's love generates, and this is why God gave us genitals, so we could image his generous, generating love. When we, again, it has to be an act of our own will, when we render the act unable to generate, we are saying, I don't want to image God's love here. It's too hard to image God's love here. It's, it's, it asks too much of me. And imaging God's love does ask one heck of a lot of us. Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Unto death. Nolan, you don't have what it takes in and of yourself to do that. I don't have what it takes in and of myself to love you, Wendy, in this way. The only way it is possible is if we are open to divine grace. Nolan, Nolan, open this situation. I know you're in a difficult situation. What, what, is, what, what lies before you? What lies before you is this, that loving your wife may demand, and I don't know all the circumstances, but it may demand, it just might demand, lifelong abstinence. Or we could say at least abstinence until she hits menopause. So let's look at it from that perspective, Nolan. You said you were in your 40s. I'm going to assume your wife is probably around your age, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. But let's say that loving your wife demands of you 10 years, 12 years of abstinence. By God's grace, you can do that. By God's grace, you can do that. If you say, I can't do that, I don't want to do that, what I want to do is render myself sterile so that I don't have to abstain, and let's just be clear, that's what you would, that's the choice. Those are the choices before you. You would render yourself sterile for one reason, that you, you don't want to abstain. And believe me, I'm a married man, I, I, I can feel the weight of that decision. But if you can make that decision in love for your wife— because that's what it is, in love for your wife. I will abstain. I will refrain. We together will refrain from that act that could cause you danger, because I'm assuming what behind all this is a serious medical reason for her not to get pregnant, and let's just assume that's all justified. You may want to look into that. You may want to get a second opinion on all that, but let's say that really is the case. Getting Your wife getting pregnant, she has a medical necessity not to get pregnant. Is it loving is it loving to render yourself sterile so that you can continue to engage in sex so that she won't get pregnant? By the way, as I said earlier, there's no guarantee that she wouldn't get pregnant if you had a vasectomy. There are documented cases, and plenty of them, of women who got pregnant uh, after their husband has had a vasectomy. The only thing you can do in that situation 
is 100% abstain. Brother, by God's grace, you can do this. Motivated by love, you can do this. Love demands sacrifice. Love demands loving to the end as Jesus loved. Love demands we love as Jesus loves. Love demands sacrifice, Nolan. Uh, you don't have it in it in you on your own to do it, but by God's grace, with his love in you, you can faithfully love your wife as Christ loved the church. One of the things that struck me about um, his kind of explaining the, the, the situation was the part where he was talking about it, kind of learning that there are couples that he knows that maybe kind of respected or assumed one thing about he's learned other things about their marriage and that's been a challenge to him in terms of kind of how he looked at marriage starting out and what he's observed over time so i do want to just speak to that briefly nolan and to your wife that um there's there's a calling in understanding what we talk about in theology of the body original man, historical man, eschatological man. Not all of our listeners understand all of that. It talks about our origins before time and history, our life lived after the fall, but received receiving the power of Christ's redemption, and what we have to look forward to in the end times. That's Theology of the Body talks about all of those experiences of the human body. And there's just such a temptation to limit ourselves to a very narrow perspective and not see from God's perspective. This is so important what you're saying. What Wendy. his purpose was in creating you and your wife. Why did he bring you into existence? The, the world might give you all kinds of messages about what you were hoping for in a natural way in your marriage and kind of fighting against the forces that somehow are trying to take that away. And all of that is not coming from the Lord's perspective on why he made you to live in union with him forever for eternity. And when we really go to that heart of Jesus, when we go to the one who made us, who sees from the eternal perspective and knows what he has in store for us, if we can go to him with our sufferings, if you can go to him and say, Lord, you gave me my wife as a gift. What a precious gift. How are you calling me to live my life as a gift to her, as receiving her as a gift, faced with this medical situation, and allow his loving heart to speak to you about what his purpose is in all of this? What freedom could come to you in your marriage mm, mm. to live by the full truth of the meaning of your body, the meaning of self-gift. We are just lifting you up in prayer that this situation, which has obviously been somewhat of a crisis in your marriage, would be an occasion of incredible growth and grace for both of you that would change the world. That's our prayer. Nolan, I, I want to uh, apologize to you on behalf of those who are watering down the truth in the name of being, I'm going to put this in quotes, pastoral. Uh, and, and oftentimes we have this idea that, well, in that situation, it would be okay. 
But when something is intrinsically wrong, intrinsically contrary to our dignity, intrinsically contrary to, to the truth of marital love, there's no situation in which it can be justified. And, and here I, I'd like to quote directly from John Paul II. He says, rendering the sexual act sterile is to be judged as so profoundly unlawful as never to be for any reason justified. To think or to say the contrary is equal to maintaining that in human life, situations may arise in which it is lawful not to recognize God as God. Mm. So in the name of being, quote, pastoral, end quote, people are telling you in your situation, it's lawful not to recognize God as God. That is not pastoral. Mm. Let's look at that word pastoral. If you pick it apart to a pastor, you know, the shepherd and the sheep, the good shepherd, pastors his sheep. What does that mean? He leads them to good food, right? Those who are pastoring you in this way are not leading you to good food, and they are false pastors in that way. It's a false compassion that is motivating them. To pastor is to lead to good food, and the good food for which you long, Nolan, is found in the Eucharist. I'm going to add one more little thought for you. Could you imagine going to the Eucharist, receiving the Eucharist, going through the motions of receiving the Eucharist, and then let's just say you like the taste of it, but you don't want the spiritual life to come from it, so you put it on your tongue, you chew it up, you swallow it, you get the taste out of it, and then you vomit it up. I mean, that, that should make our stomach churn, if we understand what the Eucharist is, that should make our stomach churn. We should, it should be unthinkable to us. Similarly, if we understand what the marital embrace really is, the thought of rendering it sterile should be just as unthinkable. When we truly see, know, experience God's divine plan for the marital union, John Paul II says, we gain a salvific fear of ever violating or degrading what bears in itself the sign of creation and redemption. Oh, I love that. Salvific fear. A salvific fear. fear. That's, that's a deep, saving awe and wonder. Yes, yes, yes. Well said, Wendy. Mm. A, a, this is our prayer for you, Nolan, that you and your wife would have a deep, saving awe and wonder mm. at the beauty, the mystery, the dignity, the sacramental glory revealed through your bodies. And out of reverence for that sacramental mystery, if love is calling you to abstain, maybe for a decade, maybe more. There are marriages in which love demands lifelong abstinence. The Lord would never ask something of us that he does not give us the grace to fulfill. And God's law is not burdensome. There's that line in Scripture, God's law is not burdensome. It's only burdensome in as much as we resist it. 
And there's a, in all of our hearts, there's a gap between what God's law calls us to and what we often desire. And I'll hold this out to you too, my brother. If there is a gap here between what God's law is calling you to and what you desire to do, maybe the problem is not with God's law. Maybe the solution is not to look to change God's law. Maybe the solution is to say, Lord, Lord, please change my heart. Mm. And Nolan, I ask you today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, brother. The Lord will grant you the grace. And as Wendy said, take the long view here. Don't just look at your circumstances here and now. Look at where you come from, where you are now, and where you want to go. To, to render yourself sterile, really and truly. I mean, it, it, it is this serious. It's to, it's to say, I prefer the momentary pleasure of a sterilized experience of sex over the opportunity of participating eternally in the ecstasy and bliss of the marriage of the Lamb. When we weigh those two choices, you got to say, if you're preferring that momentary pleasure over the infinite bliss, that's a bad choice. Brother, choose the infinite bliss. Choose the infinite bliss. Choose the, the momentary sacrifice and pain and suffering for the infinite bliss over the momentary pleasure in sacrifice of the eternal bliss. Go for it, brother. The Lord is with you. The Lord will guide you. The Lord will give you the grace to fulfill what he is asking of you. Wow, I really feel that heavily on my heart, Wendy, for, for Nolan. Mm -hmm. um, we love you, brother. We love you. It is, it is as John Paul II says, uh, actually, he's, he's quoting Pope Paul VI here. It is an eminent form of love to hold out the full demands of God's law. Right? It is an eminent form of love. Now, we, we hold out those demands and don't say, oh, good luck, have fun storming a castle. We can't do it on our own. We can do it only by God's grace. And so I hold out that grace to you as well, brother. Open this, this struggle, open this burden to all the grace that is poured out to you in the sacraments of the church, especially the Eucharist. Open wide, my brother, and receive. Amen. Amen. Well, Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. If you know someone who needs to hear what you heard today, we urge you to hit that share button and get this episode out to other people who need to hear it. Until next time, may you know deep in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.